Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Sam Edmund, as always made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, today we're joined by a man whose football career we could well be celebrating. Brennan Joyce knocked back an invitation to train and play with North Melbourne to pursue his other sporting love, basketball. And what a decision that's turned out to be. Joyce spent 13 years in the NBL as a player, coached over 400 matches in the league, including an historic championship with the Wollongong Hawks, and went to three Olympics with both the Boomers and the Opals. Along with plenty of success, has also come plenty of controversy. Now he's plying his trade, very successfully I might add, in Taiwan, where he joins us from today. Brendan, welcome and thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for having us, Julian. Well, judging by your first season over there, you're coaching as well as you ever have. It couldn't have gone any better. Yeah, look... uh... Pretty interesting statement you make. It's uh, it couldn't have gone any better. You know, we win the championship. I get coach of the year. And... We'll go back through the start of your journey and the choice you had to make between footy and basketball uh, shortly. But talk to us about Taiwan. There's probably a lot of people listening that have never been to Taiwan. Outside, before we get to the basketball side of it, what's life like living in Taiwan? Really good. A bit like if anyone's been to Japan, I would say it's it's close to Japan. And uh, the people are beautiful. They're, they're friendly, magnificent. Uh, the food is good. It surprised me. It was one country I hadn't been to. So I was quite apprehensive, a little nervous, you know, to make the jump because I hadn't coached full-time overseas. I'd been overseas traveling with the Boomers and Opals all around the world. Uh, but the kids were growing up and I was talking to, hey, you got to do this, Dad. You got to go for it, and it turned out it's it's one of the best experiences I've ever had. But as far as Taiwan goes, mate, beautiful country, beautiful people. I know the discussions about China. It's not talked about here. Uh, re- realistically, um, we go about our business, we go about our job. You know, working each day, and everybody else is out there. You know, in a beautiful area, Golshong. We 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 pronounce it with a K. So I'm down on the harbour here. Beautiful hotel overlooking the harbour. Uh, they're really looking after us, and uh, they love their basketball, mate. They 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 just so passionate you, you know asian people are so passionate about their basketball it's fantastic so as you mentioned before you got the job when you were 60 years of age so why at, at this stage of, of your life it's a big life change you know there's family considerations as well but why did you decide to do it at this stage of your life it's a good again that's another good question that you're making me think about <laughs> um well I, I guess i looked at it as a new opportunity i'm back home teaching uh coaches how to coach the modern game yet at the higher level, they you know like a bit like footy, although it's changing a little bit in footy. They're getting back experienced coaches. Yep. So um, you know, it was a new experience to go overseas, get back into coaching professionally full time. You know, I have great resources. I've got you know we're called the Golshong Aquas, spelt with a K. You know, I, I think I've got a really good owner, and that's half the battle. You know, you're, you're apprehensive. What's your owner like? You're going to lose a few games. You're going to get fired. You, 
you know, you're here, you, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. But I think I've got a great CEO and, and he and his wife, Michelle, they went to Stanford. You know, they're Taiwanese people, but they went to Stanford. Highly intelligent. They lead the, they lead the basketball program under the ownership of Mr. Ho, who's the owner, who has, you know, a hotel and, you know, various things that he owns. But, uh, you know, very intelligent people and uh, great to work for. So, it's turned out one of the best decisions I've ever made. Is that the biggest challenge, coaching abroad in a country like Thailand? Is it the cultural differences? Is there language barriers? What have you found to be the, the biggest challenge? Yeah, well, in Taiwan, you know, you've got Taipei. And when we're, we're down south. So, um, you know, there's two teams down south. Uh, we're one of them. There's, there's another league, but we we, uh, we play in what's called the T1 league, the new league. So Taipei, everyone, a lot of people speak English. Down in Golshong, where I am, there's less people speak English, you know. So um, from a coaching point of view, I, I was blessed. I've got a translator who's just not only a great translator, again, wonderful person. He's a Taiwanese kid that went to college in America, uh, in Wisconsin, follows the Green Bay Packers. And he married <laughs> <Of> and <course. laughs> loves his, loves his good. He's only five foot four. He's a boxer, just a quality human being. And uh, so he's my eyes and ears in what I don't understand. But as far as his communication go to the players, there's five or six players that really struggled to understand English when I got you know when I got here they, they get to understand the basketball terms now but without him I also he was integral in the success in translating you know what I want to get across <laughs> and the other thing is Julian what's what you know hey you don't mind I'll talk about it. one of the things I was wondering whether I could motivate people from another country yeah and um because it's one thing to translate and communicate messages right in basketball but um can he translate the emotion can he translate feel of what the message of what I want to get across because you know people will talk about process and I'm process driven but there are times you have to yeah. motivate people and uh <laughs> you know I'd say to you sometimes give Giving the message, I go. No, I want you to deliver this really passionate. <laughs> and I was, but listening to him deliver it in, in Mandarin Chinese, it's, fu- it's so funny. You know, it's, it's really extra aggressive and quick. And uh, uh, so, you know, it's been a it's been a great experience. But I've got some good people around me. Uh, must have worked. Coach of the year, won the title, clean sweep in the uh, I guess you call it the grand final series. Uh, we focus a lot about on the NBL here, which is going really well. The NBA, obviously, and then probably to a lesser extent, the basketball and. Europe. What's the standard like in Asia in general and in, in Taiwan where you are right now? Yeah, it would surprise a few people with the in- import rules. Like the import rules changed last this year from last year. So last year we had three imports and we, you could have an Asian import. But the Asian import, you could only play two quarters with two imports. So the three imports, you could only play two in, in any one quarter. And then I had an Asian import, so he could play two quarters with two imports. So if you played him <laughs> in the other two quarters, he could... Uh, you can only play one import. Now, what happened was my Asian import, he's a, a Filipino-American who went to college in uh, Texas. He, he was pretty much close to my best player. So I ended up playing in big minutes. So sometimes I was only playing one import. So the import struggled with that. The Americans, two of the Americans struggled with it. So I had to manage that, you know, playing less time. And the other big guy, or well, the big guy I had was a Lithuanian, seven foot three. So he's a stud. Buying him and a point guard, we got a really good team. And then me two Americans played roles, you know, flipping them back and forth. But my Taiwanese kids, we had one on the border of the national team. A lot of them, you know, unfortunately, Australia didn't see the best players. The best players didn't play. A bit like us, there's various reasons why for the national team. I've now got three kids knocking on the door of the national team after our after our, uh, after our successful years. So they really developed. I, I would really like to bring our team down. If we had a full team, I, I think, you know, we, we, can, we can knock NBL teams off. So the standard is quite high. It would surprise you but in the physicality you know how the big guys in australia are, are struggling yep. at times you know the 
They're always fouling out. You will not foul out here. <laughs> oh man, the physicality is ridiculous. You better be, you better, you know, have some ticker. You better be tough because they allow the big guys to beat the crap out of each other. So uh, in answer to your question, I know that's an explanation, but I think you've got to give some background. It's when we get down to it, it's a pretty good standard. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business. It's 1934. After the break, we'll go back to where it all started for Brendan Joyce, the inner suburbs of Melbourne in the 60s and early 70s. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> kid, a kid born in the Collingwood Flats and lived in the Richmond anyway. Yeah, very gentrified, those suburbs now. Not so much back then. Well, as to your resilience, mate, now people ask me where resilience comes from. It comes from where you grow up sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to champion basketball player and coach Brendan Joyce. Brendan, you were born on December 9, 1959, and you spent your early days living in Commission Flats in Collingwood and Richmond. Now, those two suburbs, for people that don't know Melbourne now, pretty gentrified. They're pretty cool, but uh, not so much back in those days. No, but, you know, any kid that grew up there, you didn't know. You just, you had fun. You know, you you, you made the best of your surroundings around you. Uh, parents were, my parents were, you know, disciplinarians. Uh, I had to do the right thing. I had grandparents. So my grandfather went to two world wars, so he's a disciplinarian. So if I gave any cheek to my mum, man, I copped it off him, like, with a stick and everything. <laughs> you know, you got whacked back then, <laughs> play it up so uh, but my my upbringing um you know I was, I was two years old when we moved down to collingwood flat and hence you know i got three older brothers and, and why we buried for collingwood and we moved to the richmond you know across the road basically and a lot of hate between richmond and collingwood um but my brothers you know they went to richmond tech i was only at primary school i went up the road to st john's east melbourne and that's where i started playing basketball there was a guy there you know there's some famous names that started playing basketball robbie Cadee, teddy graham if you go back, uh, you know, Robbie played for Stray's son, Jason. So they all learned to play basketball at St. John's East Melbourne. So they were all part of the Commission Flats as well growing up. But yeah, it was a neighbourhood where you had to you had to, uh, you had had to to hold your hands up at times. And, and, you know, like my older brother would say, you know, you, you, your back's to the wall. You, you had quite a number of fights, <laughs> at least one a month. <laughs> so, and that was normal. So, you know, it was, it was interesting growing up. But I, I, I wouldn't change it for anything. And then you moved to another sub where you had to know how to put your hands up as well, Broadmeadow. Yes. Well, by then I was okay anyway. You talk about resilience and, you know, just going back to Richmond. My dad used to help a famous guy named Leo Barry. Many people wouldn't know, like, the gym is still there in the Richmond bars. He would, My dad would help him train all the boxes back then. And, and so it's another way of you learning, just observing and watching. And so I'm only, you know, eight to ten years old. I'm what, I looked up to all these guys, you know, people wouldn't know. Frankie Bayless, Tony Lee. There was a famous black boxer african-american came out settled in australia i think his name was don johnson at the time you know watching all these guys um train so you learn you, you sort of learn from just observing so and because of the situation and i don't think it was just because of the inner suburbs it's just how it was back you know you're expected to defend yourself if someone had a crack at you and dad always told us you know you don't start anything but you, you're not going to know how to defend yourself so so when, when we you're right we moved out to broad meadows and i thought that was um i actually thought that was uh quite toffee out there because <laughs> they had a 
as, as the word we that, that would get used back then. You know, uh, they they had they had grass, <laughs> they had an oval, a footy oval beside you know right beside the school because at St John's East Mel, we used to play football on the concrete in the schoolyard. So you got tackled, you got thrown to the concrete when you had to dodge a pole. You know, it's still there. My old school. I love going back and have a look, and I wonder how in the hell you know, I used to play footy in the schoolyard. There was one basketball court, so we go to St Dominic's and they got grass. But the kids as well, as you say, all from different backgrounds, really, because there's kids from West Meadows, Broadmeadows, Gain. You know, it wouldn't change it for anything. Um, I, I think the toughest people in school are the nuns, mate. Yeah, I think you <laughs> might be right. <laughs> yeah. If you played up, um, you know, this is why I'm grey here. I got picked up off the ground by so many nuns by the hair. Many, many of students that went to a Catholic school relate to that. I think it was a, a strategical move if you played up, but a nun would grab your hair. <laughs> and lift you you'd be walking on your toes laid up so people like Frank McGuire that's Eddie McGuire yep. he was a year older than me Eddie was a bit younger you know there's been some great people come through that school and had a great influence uh, on society as well um, you know in respect to what they've achieved I was going to ask you about Eddie because similar to him we know Eddie likes to tell everyone he had a little run with the North Melbourne uh, under 19s and, and your path could have taken you to North Melbourne uh, as, a, as a very good uh, as a very good footballer yeah well we're in the zone and uh, out there it's it's at St Dominic's and uh, you know like, we're just kids we know nothing about it as you know I grew up in Collingwood all I wanted to do was play for Collingwood and um, but you know playing for St Dominic's I think when before I got there Frank was the best and fairest at the school I was best and fairest after that I'm you know I think Eddie might have been two years later play with my younger brother uh, but you, you were zoned to North Melbourne so that's at that point though I was at a school called Broadmeadows West Technical School and I had a chance to go to Ferry College which I think Ed went to and but most of my mates for St Dominic's were going to go to Broadmeadows West Tech, which, you know, I had no clue, which is one of the roughest schools in Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> you just went where your mates were. Yeah, correct. And um, so you played footy. I played footy for the school and I played footy for a team called Jakarta. Uh, famous name, Scotty Wine. Yep, correct. Rallo medalist. Bruce Stool, like... Pretty handy player, yeah. yeah right. Carlton God. And, yeah, and another guy I played with, Peter Smith, who, same era as me, he played some games with North Melbourne and the Bears. People, That's Rossi Smith. Yep. People probably remember Rossi Smith. Peter was his older brother and another guy, Rodney Wright. So we all played together. But look, I got asked, Slug Jordan used to come to the games. I love him. And obviously other scouts. And I was asked to go down there and then also play for Brunswick. The VFA, they went hard. But look, I had to make a choice. And Barry Barnes, my, my coach at the time, I was on the fringe of the senior team with the, the Spectres. Uh, I'd been making state teams. I really just chose basketball because I think I was on the fringe of the senior team. Plus, it wasn't Collingwood, it was North Melbourne. <laughs> Dad was upset. He wanted me to play football. He talked to me for a few months. And uh, and then eventually one day he came to the game, the NBL game, a couple of years later. He goes, oh, this is pretty good. You know, and <laughs> then I found out he played. He played in 1947-48. They were called, in the, it was called the Metro Cop, but that was the VBA, which is the Victoria yeah. Basketball Association. And he played with some famous names like uh, Archie McGresham. He's quite famous in basketball going way back. So he played played basketball during the off-season when he played footy. Interesting. Oh, you know? he, he didn't let you know that yeah. before then? No, no, no. Get back he said it was soft, and he said it was another some other words as well. Julian, <laughs> no, fair enough. So, so when the NBL begins its life in 1979, you're playing with the Spectres. A couple of years later, you lose the grand final to one of the great names in Australian sport, the Launceston City Casino. What What are your early memories of the early days of the NBL? Well, you when you lose a grand final, people will tell you when you win one or lose one, you never forget. And uh, the loss of the grand final is probably carried that burning desire for me to continue to coach to win a champion because you know I'm only 20 21 years old when we lost that in 1981 uh, yeah 1981 it was in Adelaide and uh you know I look back though and we had a guy who was tremendous one of the best players that ever played the game early days people 
not many people have seen him. His name was Bill Palmer. So he, he went to Stanford University. He played against, you know, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, at UCLA. And, you know, he was our best player. We lost him a few weeks before the uh, finals and it was always going to be difficult to win it without him. But we got to the grand final and uh, obviously we got creamed. But the structure was bad then. Like, Launceston played on the Friday night. They beat Brisbane. We played on the Saturday night. We played West Adelaide and Apollo. Uh, that's probably where the Adelaide people began to hate me as a, <laughs> <laughs> in that era. You know, we, we beat West Adelaide. I remember we were leading the whole game. I swear to God, it's a smaller venue, but the acoustics were incredible. I think it was packed with over 3,000 which at the time. And we led the whole game. I remember my they hit the front with about a minute to go. There is a bit of video around, I believe. It might be a black white. Um, <laughs> I remember bringing the ball up. It was 2021. 20, you know, I'm just thinking, just get the ball up. Just get the ball up. Get, get, it, get it to the play because, you know, Barnsley wanted us. We had a specific play we had to run. And uh, my ears, that's how loud it was. Wow. And Yeah, yeah. Like, they, and I'm like, concentrate. Anyway, we won the game. It was unbelievable. And we celebrated like, because it was without Bill and the way the game was to beat West Adelaide on their home court because it was in Adelaide. And then the next day we had to back up. They had a day's rest. We got cream by 20. I don't know. I've told this story to the, to the Hawks boys. You know, you probably go there later. But uh, we, uh, Alan Black, myself and Peter Stacker, not even Stacker, Peter yeah. Stacker, we walked out of Apollo Stadium and it was pretty childish when you think about it, like spoiled brat. We threw our runner-up medal out the back of the stadium. Did the Peter right? Moore. And, uh, did we, Peter Moore did that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just how it was. And we were thinking, oh, we're going to win it next year and the year after. We got the playoffs, but we never won it again. But I can tell you, about eight years later, I silently drove back stadium and walked around the back to see what and find me running up <laughs> I bet I bet you didn't find it. <laughs> no, it's in the mud somewhere or you know, they, they pulled Apollo Stadium down. So I don't have that runner up medal, which is, you know, a, a game when you look back now as you get experience it, it's disappointing. But I'll share that moment with you maybe a, a little bit later about how that how that impacted down the track. You're listening to this is your journey brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral. Celebrating lives, visit Tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be back with Brendan Joyce right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is Australian basketball great Brendan Joyce. Brendan, was coaching something you're always going to do or did it just sort of manifest itself post-playing? No, it wasn't something I thought about at all. Like probably a lot of players, I think they don't think about it while they're playing. And, uh, you know, I was in my mid to late 20s and, and Barry Barnes, who's coached two Olympics, quite famous. And Colin Gaddee, who's no longer with us, had a huge influence on my career. Uh, that's uh, Robbie Gaddee's older brother. He was a tremendous coach. They both said to me one day, you're going to be a coach. You know, in the discussion with me, talking about how I had to be as a point guard and what I needed to do. And they both said to me, you know, you're going to coach one day. And I said to them both, you're kidding, aren't you? You know, <laughs> I, I think I was studying at uni then. Or, you know, I don't know. I was an electrician for eight years. And then I gave that up to try and make the Olympic team, which didn't happen. Going back to basketball days and then I got bored just training so my wife said he won't go back to school cut a long story short I went to uni yep 
it was Footscray Institute of Technology, mm-hmm. now Victoria's, and I got a degree. So I'll just say that's helped me with coaching as well. So, but at the time, I never thought I was going to be a coach. And uh, obviously, when my career was over, I got approached to uh, coach a team, decided to do it. So in the NBL, you begin your NBL coaching career in 96 with the Wollongong Hawks. Five years later, you win the club's first championship and the first championship for a New South Wales base side. Before we get into to that final series, it was a, a season tinged with sadness. Just take us through the story of team manager David Lesky. Yeah, well, Dave Lesky was a Vietnam vet and the SAS, part of that. So very, a man with great courage. And, you know, I, I got to know him. I had to speak at his funeral. Like, I hadn't known him for that long. But his kids asked me to speak at his funeral because even though I hadn't known him for that long, we used to room together. We used to go for walks together as coaches do just to mentally have a break. He would share some things with me uh, about what he went through and some of the things he had to do, man. You know, going down those rabbit holes and you know, being the first guy down there to investigate and come out. Anyway, obviously, he was a man of great courage. He was affected by, you know, the, the chemicals they were dropped. So that's pretty much how he, he got cancer through those those chemicals that were dropped in the war zone um, and he was only in his and he he was just you know he was an inspiration not only me to the team we'd have our team and if you talk about culture and development he'd always have, have something positive to say you know today we know he served under like a respected lovable guy that, that the soldiers all love Major Cosgrove alright so it, I think everybody maybe the younger generation right now would not know who he is but Googling he's a pretty special person he as is. well and so he would share some of his leadership comment you know phrases uh, influences to me which I think helped me as well but the boys all knew that he was struggling but he never ever said because he I'm okay I'm okay he was dying and he was hanging on and I think we gave him life as well the team gave him life but he couldn't hang on I think it was about four to six weeks out from the season uh, he passed away and yeah I've kept that speech and uh, what a wonderful man and uh, it stays with us forever and and you know we the guys were wore the black armbands we we decided to wear those uh, players wear those for the whole whole final series so it was inspiration so any Anytime there was any adversity or anything, we would reflect on that and go, come on, you know, let's let's think about Dave. What would he do? What, you know, how would it impact us? And so I think it had a great impact on us. And, you know, if you look at some of the video going around, we, we remember him. And, you know, the Damon Lowry, the Damon Lowry free throws, you know. Yeah. I, I know you yeah, yeah, you played you played them right to get to the grand final. Like Fairdicken, the, the third one is the balance of the ball. The balance of the ball is on that side of the rim. And it goes in where, and we believe Dave was up there flowing that ball. <laughs> <laughs> to get us to the grand final. So, yeah, it's um, had a great influence, Dave West, on, on what we did. I was going to ask you about that because you eventually you win the championship against Townsville, but that whole final series is probably remembered for those three free throws from Damian Lowry, and particularly that last one. Yeah. Well, what's, what's yeah, just before we go to that, we look at the teams we had to beat. We had to beat Perth. If you go back and look at that lineup to our line, I think we would we would pick as a seventh team. You know, probably talent wise, six six or seven. It was a top six. So we we finished fourth. We played Perth in Perth. We have to beat them twice. Remember, too, Hawks fans would know this. The Hawks have. Uh, hardly ha- ever won in Perth. For the first few years I coached, it, it drove me mad. Oh, you know, it, it's psychological. So we win those series in Perth. We go to Adelaide. We win there. And as you say, we, lock, we drop the second game. We get to the third game. It's one of the best basketball games you ever see. Talk about, I mean, we're, I'm defensive-minded as well as offensive-minded. But that night, I think it was 108, 109. Damon makes unbelievable free throws. We go nuts. Damon Lowry with three shots. He can win the game. If he misses the first one, he might be tight. Doesn't get any more pressure than this. First one is short, but it drops in. That's the toughest one. That is the toughest. 
because that was probably his miss. Adelaide sees and they just have to watch Damon Lowry make these free throws. Headline. it up. Oh my, two tricklers. This is to get to the grand final. grand final but basket for basket there's a video i do have it over the last four or five minutes big shot after big shot brett ma you know darnell me martin catalina yeah. you know we got Sable, charles thomas Dale, all making melvin thomas it was a great game of basketball great game of basketball and unfortunately someone had to lose those fans adelaide <laughs> <laughs> well yeah exactly another game they'll never forgive us you know, because of what happened <laughs> Need a prayer to force overtime. They go to the clutch man, Robert Rose. Reaching in, Charles Thomas has stopped him. And Wollongong have prevailed. The Wollongong Hawks, a franchise foundation member after 23 years, have won the NBL Championship behind the coach of the year. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, some sporting history here in Australia has been created to the Swamp in Townsville. But the people all cheering are from the Wollongong Hawks. After joining the league in 1979, they are now the new NBL champions. And what a fantastic series it has been. One that is regarded as the best ever. And Wollongong, the new champs, the first from New South Wales. Case, without a doubt, I mean, this is the greatest series I've ever seen. And I mean, both teams put in so much, not only in the playoffs, but out the, throughout the year. And they really deserve what they got. I mean, Wollongong, when you look at it from 1 to 10, they're a very deep, deep roster. Standing playoff series, Case, and I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't love this series, then uh, you're not really a true lover of sport, and you're very hard to please. And also joining us on the panel is the coach of the Cairns Taipans, Guy Malloy, who joined us right throughout the grand final series. And Guy, thanks very much for your time. Your analysis of the grand final was excellent. And how did you see the outcome? Well, the two best teams for the regular season, uh, arguably, but they did get through the final series and uh, they did a great job. They both deserved to be there. It was fantastic quality basketball. The execution was great. They were pretty much mistake-free teams. Uh, we saw a lot of wonderful individual efforts. We saw uh, great resilience by Wollongong. I really thought that they were probably gone with seven minutes to go. I think eight points down and uh, Charles Thomas, Melvin Thomas, Damon Lowry, Glenn Saville, they refuse to die, and, and they've won a championship, so a great job. So, so 21 years after, as a player, you didn't quite get that championship. You get it as a coach. What, what was the immediate emotion? Well, you know, I've shared that medal story with you. You know, coaches, you, you, you're in trouble, mate. Coaches tell stories when you, you, know, you, know, you don't want an answer. We lost game two in town. Players are arguing, blaming each other, all right? So we got we got to play. So we go back to the hotel. It's it's 8 o'clock at night, and we've got to play at 4 o'clock. And we're arguing each other. I'm thinking, what am I going to do here, you know? So first of all, you know, you had the talk about stop blaming each other. Let's focus on what we've got to do. And that's what I told him the story. I talked about opportunity. And I think it was 23 years, actually. 23 years, um, 2001, yes, 29. So club had never won a championship. The Hawks, they've been in it since day one. I've been in it as a player and coach since 1979. Uh, and I talked to him about, this is an opportunity. One game, you'll never forgive yourself if you don't give it everything and you come up with this. Right, and I shared with the medal story. I said, "Here's here's here's what opportunity." I said, "1981, I threw my medal away." I said, eight years later, probably for the next 
three years, I always drove back looking for it sticking out, even, even though it was a runner-up medal. I said, you got to take, you don't know. And I said, I thought we were going to, I was going to play in another four or five grand finals and I did. So you've got to make the most of this opportunity. And so the boys said that was quite impactful that night to bring them back together. And, you know, then I talked to them, told them how good they were, each individual, what they did. And, uh, and we won. And it was just amazing. And the city went nuts and, you know, that back home. And yeah, it was, it's, it's hard to explain. First championship, the only championship the Hawks have won still. But just an amazing, amazing experience with an amazing group of guys. You know, like any championship team will tell you, you know, it's, it's, it's something you never forget. As you said earlier, you're a hard on your sleeve type coach. You're an emotional coach and it did lead to some trouble at the end at Wollongong you know the allegations of you know using abusive language that children were hearing on the sidelines how do you look back at that time and how it all ended at Wollongong now coaches if you listen to the video a week later you'll hear Gorge you'll hear Jerry Wright you know I used one word where word and he capitalized on that and used mm-hmm. that and orchestrated a situation to at that point in time to try and buy me because he'd fired everybody else but it didn't work obviously down the track uh, it, it had an impact but that was that was his agenda and uh, it almost destroyed the club. And it took it's taken years for that club to get back on track. And I go back, if you go to the video and you listen to what I said, I said, you've got to get back on defensive transition. I said, and I used the word F because we're, you know, in there. Now, if you want to go to any other coach, you know, you'll hear Gorge, and they'll drop three or four or Al Westover years later. And that was used against me. They lost a lot of good people. Otherwise, me being the loyal person I was, who knows? I could have still, because I had offers to go to other teams all the time. You know, Sydney, Sydney, they know that back back in the day after you won the championship, Townsville knocked them all back to stay at Wollongong and uh, unfortunately that person did a lot of damage and um, you know and, and it was I, I, to me it was a minor thing so from that that had an impact on me so if you hear me now I'm very very reluctant to swear <laughs> because of that but Was coaching your son Daniel a, a problem at the time? No it wasn't yeah, well it, it, it's again I think that was utilised as well for a, for a short period so dad had just played in the under 20 championships and uh, he had an opportunity to go to college in America and you know, his team, uh, New South Wales, won the gold medal. He was really probably the next guard behind, best guard behind Paddy Mills. If you looked at all the statistical categories. And the club told me we've got to sign him because we're going to lose him, you know. Andrew Blahoff made a little call saying, oh, I'll pick him up. And I said, oh, he's going to stay with Goat. Hoff was over in Perth. But uh, at the time, it was good. And again, it was just something that was used against us, I think, because it unfortunately, too, it was he was a young kid. So there was a little bit of an attack on him. And I think that was part of the agenda to just create, you know, some, some negative and what would you say, uh, adversity within the group, you know? So eight final series in 11 completed season with with the Hawks that ended the way it did. And then you go on to the Gold Coast Blaze, take them into the finals. First Gold Coast-based sporting team to make finals in any sport. Doesn't all go your way in the second season and you're gone not even halfway through your contract. What do you recollect yeah. of that time? Yeah, first year we made the playoffs, everybody's over the moon. Second year we have a lot of injuries, we missed the playoffs. So the owner, the owner wants change. Jerry Wright's just up the road, you know, you find this out later on or you don't know at the time so Joey's done really well at Brisbane so you know they want to bring in Joey they can bring in some Brisbane players you know they want to change because of our because of the failure and uh, in, in the second year but they, it is what it is it's mm-hmm. a, another experience so it's a negative which was a negative one I guess that happened we're talking to Brendan Joyce on this is your journey thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral celebrating lives we'll be back right after this break to discuss the Boomers the Opals and the Olympics you're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Yeah. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Brendan Joyce has been our guest today. Brendan, as a player, you captain the under-23s at national level. You're in Boomer's squads, including prior to the 1988 Olympic. Is not playing more for your country one of your disappointments? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. I gave up my job, you know, to uh, just play basketball uh, as an electrician, to just focus on basketball for three or four years to, for the Olympics and uh, uh, to try and make that team. I was probably a bit unfortunate. I think that when I was about to make it, to be a backup to Phil Smythe, Cal Bruton naturalised. That hurts. <laughs> you know, he's a good friend, yeah. And, uh, you know, so that, that, that was a window for me that was taken away. Obviously, I think that, you know, probably my best opportunity when Cal naturalised, so he was in the next in it for the next few years, and then by then they were looking for a younger player. So, but you know, again, all that disappointment. There's more disappointment than success to achieve the ultimate. So it's how you handle that disappointment. So I think all that disappointment helps me for my coaching as well. Anyway, in uh, managing players and managing players, you know, when they're when they're going through tough periods, so you, you've lived some of those. Uh, so when I think when you've lived it, uh, you understand the emotions that players are going through, and I think it helps you manage that situation a little bit more because you can share your own experience. That was her. Eight years with the Boomers as an assistant, a couple of Olympic Games in there as you mentioned, uh, 2006 uh, Commonwealth Games in Melbourne as well. And then you take over at the Opals uh, from 2013 through to 2016. Uh, bronze medal at the World Champs in 2014. Now Taylor for three left wide open and that's the one player you have to keep your eyes on. Over, ends up with Snell and Snell hits the three pointer. And right now though it looks good for Australia. Snell points. Snell with 11. Hodges with 14. Taylor with 11. <laughs> Levy over to uh, Allen and Allen hits the three pointer. Phillips over to Snell in the corner. Good! And that right there is like a layup for Australia. Then in the Olympics in 2016, I guess a shock loss at the time, many would say, to Serbia in the quarterfinals. Worst result for the Opal since 1992. How do you look back on that? Some criticism at the time was that maybe some of the selections around that team weren't right and that, that ultimately cost you. What, what are your recollections about what happened in 2016? Can I just go back first of all? You never get to talk about the, the build-up to it, right? So so 2013, I take over the Opals and there's huge change about to occur because a lot of the girls are you know in their 30s. So it's a rebuild. I'm in charge of the COE as well. So I'm head coach of the COE, which means I... I'm in charge of the under 17s and 19s yep. group. So what I do is align every align the under 17s, 19s with the O. So we're very. I, I'm into trying to beat the USA. So if you look at you, I, they still haven't lost. So the USA is all about athleticism quickness, just versatile, multi-skill. So I have a, a, a vision of, of developing the kids, multi-skill, getting kids that are athletic, still mixed in with kids that understand the game. So a product of that is today is Ezzy McBegger, who's, who's one of the kids. At that time, we picked Annalee Mayley. So there's a few kids that missed out. Uh, Alana Smith, she's, her dad's, so she's probably a bit stiff to miss out this year, probably because Lauren came back. But there's a number of kids on that bench, Darcy Gutton, like that were in the team this year. So anyway, so there's a lot of criticism going to the World Cup. So we've got retirement, uh, screening. Snelly's still hanging in there. So she makes the World Cup team. Lauren's, uh, Lauren's 
injured. So in 2013, Lauren plays two games for me in the qualifiers, kills it, goes to China, damages her knee. They said she'll never play again. Mm. I know you're going to go there at some stage. They will never, she will never play again. So she retires, and that's that was detrimental to us at the time. Susie Bakovic wasn't available for the World Cup, but we still got a young group, and it's I've got, but I've got nine new, I think nine players or eight players that hadn't played before. So we win the bronze medal. We only lose one game to the US by six, and everyone's ecstatic, right? Because we win the bronze medal. Because the other thing that happened was Liz Cambridge snapped her Achilles a week before the World Cup. And everyone said, you're not going to medal. But we played unbelievable basketball. Mariana Tolo stepped up. There's a kid named Nat Burton in Perth. Mm-hmm. She had a four-year stint, played great defense, played a great role. I brought Erin Phillips back. She, she'd been out of the team for a few years. But anyway, so we win the bronze medal. So now we're preparing for the Olympics. Let's go to where you want to go. So we traveling the world touring for the selection of the team. So trying to, you know, going back to your selection. So we take players to Serbia. We take players to France because the France and Serbs, to me, the Serbs were the, you know, you said upset uh, loss, but it wasn't to me because the Serbs were the European champion, which everyone forgets. So we are playing those teams. So we are testing those players out. We are testing, we are selecting players based on how they perform against the best players in the world. And uh, so many of those players got the opportunity and didn't perform. Were they too old, too slow, too whatever? There's various reasons why we left some players out, but that's how we select the team. There's no biases there. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't coaching the WNBL at the time. I wasn't bias towards any particular player. Neither were my two coaches, assistant coaches, Rory Chizik. And, and and so there was no there was no biases. So we had we had a clean slate and selection and, and clear vision of standing back and not selecting, you know, or trying to select the best players that played. And that's what we did. And if you go through the Olympics, it was different. We had some back-to-back games. Uh, we won five straight. We beat France, to me, who were one of the best uh, best teams there. Big and mobile by 25. You know, Liz Cavage, sorry, Petty was at the end of her career. By then, we we hadn't had Belinda and Sally. We'd had to retire her. Lauren wasn't available. So it was still a fairly young team. And we lost the game by a basket to Serbia. You know, and heartbreak at quarterfinal. But we, we, we knew because what happened Serbia dropped their first two games they were the European champ and we knew as coaches we go this team is pretty good right we we have to be ready and we were ready when you lose a game by a basket you haven't done a lot wrong no, if you lose by 20 you've, not, you've done a lot wrong right and so that's a heartbreaking loss I'll never forget I really felt for you just the first moment after the game you just feel for the girls because you know how much work's been done and um, that's it like to win five straight five games straight and you say the worst finish for a while but again we were five and one you know if we win that game we probably go on medal but it is what it is and, um, but you give me Lauren Jackson hey give me Lauren Jackson back we ain't losing that game mate nah. Nah. <laughs> we're not losing that game <laughs> you know so we, we had a lot of lot of, lot of young guys which I think helps them for the, help them for the future oh Campage oh very nice look inside of Campage and that's a smart play basket and a foul and Tina Charles is whistled for the contact and here comes Liz Campage she is a problem for the U.S. Picked up the foul, so Liz Cambage still playing with four. And the lob inside the Cambage raises and puts that up and in. Oh, she rejects it. She sends that one way out. Oh, she gets it to go, Cambage. Wow. Cambage, however, shows her range. Oh, look at Cambage. Take it all the way. What a soft touch. So we've got a genera- generational player like Liz Cambridge that will never see play for the Opals again. Do- does that yeah, make you angry? Does that make you sad? It makes a lot of people angry. What are your emotions towards 
Liz. Uh, my, my, mine is Sam because, uh, and people often ask me, thinking that I have this anger probably toward Liz. Liz Cambridge was my best player at the Olympic Games in Brazil, in Rio. So Liz was the leading scorer for Australia. Liz was, uh, I think, I can't recall, but maybe the leading scorer of that campaign. Mm. Um, you know, you have some moments in managing high-level players, have big egos, have egos. You have to manage that. And for me, along the, along the pro, throughout the process, obviously we used to have to manage Liz at different times with different things. But we, if, if you reflect back, there was a moment Liz took off to a concert instead of um, coming to an Opals camp and we left her out of the, you know, in the process going to the Olympics. We left her out of the team and all hell broke loose about that. Now, I felt that, that we left her out of the team and, and in discussion with the culture, with the players, as they all said, well, we're going to leave her out. She hasn't committed. Now, Liz was obviously really upset about that. And her mum, everybody, we just thought she could make some money at the rock concert. And we just thought, you got you got it all wrong here, you know. Uh, and at the time, management, her manager, I think, was even encouraging. But I thought that was a lesson for her. You know, you have to nip things. But I can tell you, I got a phone call from a board member for Basketball Australia not wanting, not wanting to leave her out. That person said, oh, man, you, you've got to change this. You know, she is. I go, look, I think we have to do this not only for the team because I'll lose the whole team. And I spoke to the other coaches about it. We all agree. I said, we're going to, we're serious about culture. Is it just words up on a board or are we going to follow through with it? And I thought this would be good for Liz. Liz needs to uh, be disciplined along the way. And I actually said to this board member from Basketball Australia, if you don't, if we don't follow through with this, something bad will happen down the track. Something bad, yeah. not only Liz, will happen. These were my words, Phil, and down mm. the track. So, you know, as everybody knows, Liz didn't make the team or we didn't select her. We qualified and then she had to work her way back in of the team again so um and, and to me that that's managing the situation so so what my, my feelings with liz is she gave it everything she could her personality does great people but she's not the only one there's you could you could pick out other players she's a superstar so then what i saw what happened after our campaign in rio was really disappointing um, but for me with liz my time i did the best i could i remember saying to you liz you're not going to like this but probably 10 15 years down the track you'll come back to me and you'll say you under coach i understood what you did now maybe she still doesn't <laughs> but <laughs> I, but i think i think at the time and whether it still is you know it, she, it was unforgiving for for us to leave her out in her in her eyes but we know we did the right thing at that time for, for the team point of view before we let you go uh so preparing for season two in taiwan do you see yourself being in taiwan for a while or is there other goals coaching wise for you they, they want me to be here for a while and it, there's a chance I will be but I've left it open some respects you know I, ha I have a deal for a couple of years but I do have uh, the opportunity uh, to, to go somewhere else if I want so they've been incredibly respectful and committed to me but you know my experience says you know I want to take each year as it comes and hopefully it's a good experience because I'm at a point now where you know I want to enjoy what I do and last year was really enjoyable I'm hoping this year is enjoyable I had offers from or interest from Japan and China whether I do that again I don't know but family is important to me as well so this year what's really positive is that my family can visit me my wife visited me for a couple of months but she couldn't do the 14 day quarantine twice but this year we open up next week Taiwan opens up so the kids can visit me so that might change things and help me stay here for a few years but the ability to see my kids you know even though I talk about they're, they're, they're adults now you know we still love our family I want yeah. I want to be able to have access to them so that, that'll impact on whether I come back here again uh, beyond this year well Brennan thanks so much for joining us today you've dedicated your 
life to basketball and achieved about just about everything there is to achieve in the sport. And along the way, there's rarely been a dull moment as well, which makes it a, a fascinating journey to look back on. Well done on everything you've achieved so far, and thanks so much for sharing it with us. Thanks for having us, Julie. And thank you for joining us. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91